0: Many years ago, when the planet Krypton, home of a race of supermen, exploded in space, the sole survivor was an infant boy who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's now playing Superman movie retrospective series. Man, this is gonna be good. Hosted by Stuart. Well, you're back, and everyone seems to be pretty happy about it. Arnie. In spite of your
1: past, I know you're a good man, and all good men deserve a second chance.
0: And Jacob. One needs to make creepy friends in order to survive. And these three new arrivals bring destruction in their way. These people have such powers, nothing can stop them. Now that you know, I think you should know it all. Tell me everything, starting with crystals. Can you read my mind? If so, you already know this podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Holy skunk sweat! Listener discretion is advised. Bring it on! There are questions to be asked, and it is time for you to do so. Here in this, this fortress of solitude, we shall try to find the answers together.
1: Today we're discussing Superman Returns, starring Brandon Routh, Kate Bosworth, James Marsden, Parker Posey, Cal Penn, and Kevin Spacey, directed by Brian Singer. I'm Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and come on, say it, say it. In
2: LA. Wrong! Oh, you're doing a Kevin Spacey. Okay.
3: <laughs> and this is your host of Steel, Jacob.
1: And it was 20 years and one Steel later before Superman actually made it back on
2: screen. Or at least the big screen. I mean, he was on Smallville and Arnie, you claim to be a big fan of that show. I watched
1: it. I don't claim to be a big
2: fan of it. I
1: claim to have watched most of the seasons. Not a fan, though. Just watch
0: most of it.
2: (laughs) I think that counts. Believe me, I saw about five minutes of it, and you'd have to like what they were doing in order to keep going. Here's the thing I liked, is the
1: homages they paid to the original movie. The little winks, nods, and all of that. But I have to say that, overall, the show kind of bored me. It was one of those shows that I would let build up on the DVR and then just plow through on a build IKEA furniture kind of day. Mmm, okay. So... I can't call myself a fan. I can't say I was rapt attention every episode. I can say I kept up and followed the developments. Once Green Arrow showed up is pretty much when I dropped out. But it was a good enough show. And I remember being a little confused because with Superboy on television, I couldn't understand why you'd make Superman in theaters. I really thought they'd end Smallville when Superman Returns was coming. It felt like the thing to do would be graduate him to be a man and have a movie, but... They kept it going.
3: Despite your cool feelings for the show, I mean, it was hugely popular. I I worked with the guy. That was his religion, was seeing Smallville. He was super hyped for Superman Returns. I mean, Smallville, you could have your opinions about it, but it was a very popular show on the WB, and I could see them wanting to keep that around while this was going on.
2: And you're right, Arnie, there was talk. I do remember there was some consideration of just making Tom Welling the next Superman for the movie, that the TV run was a build-up to doing a theatrical spin-off. I mean, they still did not know how they wanted to reboot Superman. Most popular, iconic comic book character of all time, and no one can write for him. Tim Burton, he couldn't figure it out. Kevin Smith, there were other attempts here, too. J.J. Abrams had a famous flame-out with Flyboy. Anybody read that script? I didn't read the script. I only learned about Flyboy in
1: the past week and read a summary of it on Wikipedia. And that sounds really strange that (laughs) it involved the death of Superman and the death of Jor-El and they meet in Kryptonian heaven. (laughs)
2: Is that anywhere near Transformer heaven? I don't know. Yeah, that sounds a little over the top. The rumor I heard was that they approached Justin Timberlake and he was not going to fly. He was going to squirt on some kind of embryonic coating that was like a soup that made him do super things. I don't know. Clearly, they did not know how to reinvent the character. There was also talk of a mashup, you know, after Alien and Predator and Freddy and Jason. There was some consideration about just pitting Superman against Batman. I think that was before Nolan's thing. And Wolfgang Peterson was lining up Brad Pitt to play one of them. Yeah,
1: I think it was in the Will Smith movie, I Am Legend, that he was walking on a post-apocalyptic street, and out there was a poster for the Superman-Batman movie, which really had a cool logo. They were really planning on going with it, and it was supposed to be the early tease for that movie coming to theaters. And no, I don't know that Warner will ever get their big heroes together on the screen, at least not in
2: my lifetime.
3: We're never going to get that Justice League film. So
2: my question really is, how did this project cohere? Why now? Why in this version? Why Brian Singer? We know Brian Singer. He's the director of the X-Men movies and made a big stink about not directing that third one that people have so many problems with to do this. Well, who produced the X-Men films? I think it was Donner, wasn't it? It was
1: Laura Donner, Richard Donner's wife. She produced a ton of Marvel stuff, especially for Fox. She did the Wolverine stuff. She did a lot of Marvel stuff and produced all those X-Men films. And so, Brian Singer had access to Richard Donner and during the filming of X2 he's like I hear they're working on a new Superman film I just want to tell you I respect what you did with Superman so much that if they did another Superman film here's what the Superman film should be here's my vision which is your vision redone and whether it was hey here's somebody who can actually pull this thing together after a decade of trying or whether it was this guy just assuaged my ego so much of course I'm giving him the job Brian Singer was blessed by Richard Donner to bring Superman back with his own vision and do what he wanted, and so Singer dropped out of X3 because this door had been opened for him.
2: And I get that temptation. Sometimes to do something new is more tempting than to do something you've already proven you can do twice. It probably was more of a thrill... It's kind of how, you know, J.J. Abrams is going to move on to Star Wars and probably not direct the next Star Trek because the temptation to do something new of a childhood favorite is that great. So, okay, Singer clearly is a big Richard Donner Superman fan. If nothing else can be said about Superman Returns (laughs) is that it really is an emulation of the world built by Donner.
1: And I still think part of that is fear. Christopher Reeve had died shortly before this production. They talked about giving him a cameo, which was, you know, the big thing to do. And they weren't able to do that. But I think because of his accident, as much as anything, there's just that fear of disrespecting Superman's memory. He embodied Superman. He never had another role that counted. I'm sorry, switching channels.
2: So some people would argue about somewhere in time, but I'll give you nothing he ever did approach the star impact of this stuff.
1: Yeah, so I think that while rebooting it could have been the right choice, And I think we all agree it went off the rails with Superman 3 and 4. This was the other in vogue thing to do. Before everyone just completely embraced and started dry-humping the idea of rebooting, this whole, let's just forget some of the sequels and make a new sequel to the originals, was something they'd done. I mean, Halloween H20 had done it. There were others that aren't coming to mind so quick.
2: Yeah, it's a way of going about it. And here's the funny thing. I did not see Superman... 1 or 2 in at least 2 decades when I went to Superman Returns. But I saw this one in theaters and it did remind me a lot of movies that I had vague childhood fondness for. I mean I really did feel like, oh yes, they're doing a lot of callbacks to the movies I want to remember and not the ones that I think we all agree are lesser. Whether you like them or not, Superman 3 and 4 is no one's favorite Superman. So I don't think it's a bad way to go. i say that for me was an intriguing nostalgia machine. I wanted to go back to that childhood and experience it again as an adult. I mean, that's been, I would say, the signature calling card of this past decade was let's recreate your childhood by plumbing all your old favorites and giving them a nostalgia trip. And this was Superman's time.
3: One of the big draws for me with Superman Returns, some of it was what you said, Stuart. It's that nostalgic trip. I love those first two films, especially that first one. Some of my favorite films as a kid. I don't know if I wanted to relive those, but I think it was that nostalgia, that early love of Superman. Again, not a superhero character I read a lot about in the comics, just rarely works for me in the comics. But those films were so powerful, I was excited to see Superman on the big screen again. I didn't expect it to be a sequel or whatever to those other films, but I I was just excited to see Superman return, the bigger budget, the better effects these days. I went in just with the highest of hopes that this film had so much potential being done in 2006 with the technology and all that that we have today.
1: And I got interested in the idea of bringing Superman back to screen that year, but I did not go and see this in theaters. When it came out, I had no desire to see this. And half of it was, I still had a bad taste in my mouth for Batman Begins the year before. I I know it's not a
3: popular opinion. Just want to call it out. You're bringing it up, not us. Yeah, I
1: still got a
2: bad
3: taste from that review, but whatever. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I know it's not a popular opinion to have, but I tried twice on Batman Begins and just didn't care for it, and directed by Brian Singer. Didn't care for him. If people go back and listen to our X-Men reviews, I've come around to embracing those films, but when they were first released, they weren't the superhero films I wanted. I thought they were too dour, too dry. I understand now they were just basically low budget for what they were, but I thought they were convenient contrivances, and the man who had directed the usual suspects and been a god in my eyes had fallen down to earth hard. I did not want to see him do more superheroes. So you combine those two things and despite it having Kevin Spacey, an actor who I really like as Lex Luthor, I didn't see this
2: till it came out on video. Wow. Okay. Well, how weird is it that I went to a superhero movie in theaters, maybe even opening weekend, and you stayed home? (laughs) Okay. But at that time, had just come to L.A. I was surrounded by a lot of people that had worked on the film. This was a big production around town. I think all the effects houses had worked on it. It was a special effects extravaganza, and I went with someone who had assured me that it was going to really do some amazing stuff with computer technology that hadn't been done. We were going to see a CGI Brandon Routh flying around, had not been fully successfully done before. And they shot this thing completely on video. I believe this may be the very first film in which there is no negative. It is not a film at all. This is a big budget video. And it was a real test for was Hollywood ready to scrap Panavision and good old-fashioned film development for this new video technology, something we take for granted now.
1: First of all, they take big offense to calling it video. They call it digital film. And second of all, I'm pretty sure the latter two Star Wars prequels were all digital because Lucas was really pushing that technology. He helped invent it. He owned the patent and he made money every time one of those cameras sold.
2: Sure. I'm just repeating what was told to me. It was the first one that they had worked on, if not the very first production. It was in the infancy. It was a risk. It was considered a big deal that Hollywood and not Lucas, you know, he funded those himself. Hollywood was backing this idea of digital filmmaking but I was really surprised. I saw the movie opening weekend. I thought that it was a charming throwback. I didn't think much of it. I didn't have a lot of stakes invested in it. I thought it was pretty good and then whack! Backlash! I went to Comic Con a few months later and man did I hear the hate. I was shocked. This was like a real head turner, much like Quantum of Solace where I saw the movie and thought, hey everyone should be happy with this and then found out that Bond fans hated it. Comic book people were not down and I was there at the panel when Brian singer was trying to defend what he had done for a not particularly receptive audience.
3: I'm interested in how he defended this. The funny thing is, I saw this on opening weekend, too, and I remember going to work Monday, and everyone had seen this, and a lot of haters, and, like, I wanted to defend this film because it was such a throwback to the first two Superman films. Like, I felt like if you trashed this film, you were trashing those ones, so I tried to defend it. I didn't have my heart in it, but I'm like, I gotta defend this because I love those other two films so much, but deep down, I was feeling the same thing they did.
2: Okay, so you were in that camp too. I was curious about that. For me, it was a real surprise, having not really gone back and studied those films or lived those films for decades. I don't know, it seemed like a close enough facsimile to me, but that was my big curiosity. Coming back to Superman Returns almost seven years later now, I would wonder, did I just not pay attention? Was I wrong? Now that I've seen every Superman movie leading up to it, am I still going to be polite about Superman's return? And that was the thought I had, is when I
1: watched this on video, I'll say right now, I did not like it. I really found myself disappointed an hour in, wishing it was over two hours in and still having a half hour to go. So I never even had that moment of thinking I liked it. I rented it, hoping I'd like it, didn't like it, but coming back to it. After this retrospective, I wondered if my views would be different because we just rewatched the first two films. And knowing that there's a lot of callbacks, a lot of similarities, it's intending to emulate those. I really wondered going in, would my opinion be different, kind of like they were with the X-Men films. I've also come to really enjoy Singer's X-Men work, so I was wondering, have my tastes evolved, or was I wrong back then? That was my question, but I will say, call me the king of optimism, I came into this review, and I thought... I may have been in a bad mood. I watched it with the assurance I would like it in context.
2: Well, then let's get into it. I think we all know where we stood back then. Let's get to the plot. Let's get to right now, present day. What happens in Superman Returns, Arnie? Well, not right now, present day. Five years ago,
1: (laughs) astronomers found the planet Krypton, and the last known survivor of the race of Kryptonians could not resist checking it out, so Kal-El, known to us as Superman, took a crystal ship right out of a door song to Krypton to look for others like himself. Finding only a dead planet, he chose to return to Earth, crash landing back in Smallville in his foster mother's backyard, and he's been gone five years. The world has wondered where Superman went during this time, and no one took it harder than ace Daily Planet reporter Lois Lane, who loved The Man of Steel. She has spent the past five years as a single mother raising the love child she conceived with Superman, a young, sickly, asthmatic son named Jason. She has also become engaged to Richard White, nephew of Daily Planet boss Perry White. But when a space shuttle launch goes awry, threatening to crash an airplane with Lois aboard, Superman springs back into action to save her in a public spectacle. The world now knows Superman is back, and though as Clark Kent he's able to return to his life as a Daily Planet reporter, as Superman he finds himself more alone than ever as Lois has moved on. So he throws himself into his work, saving people on Earth like never before. But plotting again is Lex Luthor. Released from prison when Superman missed a court date to testify against the greatest criminal mind of our time, Lex has a new real estate scheme. If he cannot create beachfront property by plunging California into the ocean, he'll create it. He returns to Superman's Fortress of Solitude and steals the Knowledge Crystals there, and throws one into the ocean, creating an all-new Crystal Island. But knowing Superman would try to stop him, he laces the Crystal with Kryptonite, so Superman will be powerless on this new island. Of course, the water displacement for the island will flood other continents, killing billions. Superman tries to stop Lex, but, powerless, is beaten up and stabbed with a kryptonite shank and thrown into the ocean. But Lois, Richard, and Jason rescue him, and Lois removes the kryptonite from his side. Superman then uses his heat vision to bore beneath the island and throw it into space. Lex and his henchwoman Kitty Kowalski escape, but his other henchmen are killed as the island starts to crumble. But lifting all that kryptonite seems to have killed Superman. He's rushed to the hospital where a last piece of kryptonite is removed and he returns to life. He realizes Jason is his son and gives a speech, the same speech Jor-El gave to Kal-El in the Fortress of Solitude, and is now Protector of Earth and his new super son as credits roll.
2: Right from the get-go, we're back in the Donner world here. I gotta say, it was a delight for me back then and now. Truly, after watching Shaquille O'Neal, I'm really glad to hear the John Williams score. I'm really glad to see those retro credits. I'm really glad to hear Brando's voice again. All of this stuff was really setting the tone for a return to those first two Superman movies. And that makes me
3: happy. I do like that William's score is returned here. I think it's one of the iconic things of the Superman films, that theme song of his. To hear it, done right, it does get you into this film right away. Uh, credits that go on seemingly forever as they float through space, I could use those edited <laughs> down. But again, it's hearkening back to that nostalgic feeling I had as a child watching these films, and that's getting my buy-in here at the beginning.
1: I like it as well. Rumor has it that Singer said... If they would not pay to get the entire Williams score available to him, he would not do this film. He would just walk. That's how important this music was to Singer. Even though they didn't get Williams himself, this new composer, John re reconducted the orchestra doing a new rendition of this song that sounds just like the old rendition of this song, but mixed in 11.2, and it has never sounded better. It is nice to be back. And I don't mind that it goes on too long. I don't know that I could ever get sick of this Williams song any
2: more than I could get sick of his Star Wars stuff. So I think I understood because I listened to your plot summary, but I was very confused watching Superman's actual return. I didn't think he needed starships to fly around in space. We'd seen Christopher Reeve do that in every movie. So the fact that he showed up again in a ship, I thought it was the ship that he had had when he was born, his little baby carriage, if you will, when it crashes into Kansas. I'm really confused why we have to come back at this point. I thought the mom was dead. I thought that there was nothing really here in Kansas for him. It seems to me done only because they want to follow that structure of Donner and include a chapter in which we think about Superman as a teenager. So, Stuart, are you asking, why does
1: God need a
3: starship? (laughs) (laughs) I guess. In Supergirl, we saw Superman, or at least we heard about him, flying a trillion light-years away on a peace mission. I-, I guess that's not in this continuity for the film here, but I did find it odd he's got, like, a silver spacesuit on and this really large crystal ship that no one noticed crashing except his mom.
2: Yeah, it came from the Fortress of Solitude. I think that's what I understood you to say was that he found out from astronomers. That's what we're told. I think that means Richard Pryor, right? He was the (laughs) one that had found the pieces of Krypton (laughs) in Superman 3. Richard Pryor told him, here's where your planet used to be. And so he did something with the crystals at the Fortress of Solitude and created this. Alright, first of all, erase Richard Pryor from your
1: mind. It was in Superman 3 that we found out his mother died. Superman 3 never happened. Richard Pryor never happened. But, yeah, we get the title card at the beginning saying astronomers found this... And yeah, this crystal ship, it's never explained. It's never explained where the crystal ship came from. What was said in bonus features is Brian Singer's vision is that Superman gets his powers from our yellow sun. So if he leaves our solar system, he's powerless. So he could not fly millions of miles or millions of light years away to do that without some sort of vehicle.
3: That is true, that that is where he gets his powers from. I don't think they've really ever held that tightly to that in the comics. Seeing what's going to come later in this film, uh, he sure seems to throw out a lot of the other Superman mythology, so it seems weird that he holds on to that.
2: I buy it. That makes total rational sense to me, although it doesn't ever explain itself to a layman. I'll call myself that watching it here in the movie. Either time I watched the movie, completely dumbfounded. I just thought it was a one of many nostalgic callbacks. If the baby came in this ship, Superman's got to come back in this ship. But the point was that he came in that ship from Krypton, and what Superman flew all the way over to the ends of the galaxy to find out, did he just not believe that the planet blew up? What was Superman looking for, Or is this a false notion of why he left us?
1: I think that it's an excuse is what it is. It's an excuse as to why Superman was gone. It's a way of passing time, creating a new situation in our life. Superman had been gone for 20 years. So, in this new world, to show the passage of time, but still link to those old ones, it gives them a reason for putting it where they put it. That said, this was not the original opening of the film. And I am really shocked that they didn't go with their original opening, which is available as a bonus feature on the Blu-ray. Their original opening was this wordless scene... That cost, as I understand it, $10 million of CGI. And it's Superman at Krypton in his crystal ship. Hmm. And he's flying over this dead world. And unlike the original Donner Superman, Krypton did not blow up like the Death Star after the Battle of Yavin. Instead, it's there as a body, but it's just completely lifeless. It looks like a house after it's caught fire.
3: So it doesn't have radiated chunks of kryptonite that would have killed him i mean maybe that's why he's in the spaceship and well no i guess kryptonite doesn't hurt the superman though we'll get there
1: well no actually you're dead right But it's very weird. The scene, I don't know why they'd cut it when it is so effects-laden. It mean, it's him in the ship, and it shows the crystals in the ship growing to be controls for him. He walks up, and the crystals just rise to him and form around his hands. So it sh- sets up right away the crystals grow. But what he finds on this planet really makes no sense to me. Why he went to a dead planet, never explained. Did he not believe the Godfather sitting in that crystal... We're all dead. Well, maybe he's wrong. (laughs) Go. And I actually didn't mean godfather like Corleone. I actually meant god slash father and then realized what I said.
2: Okay. It didn't play that way.
1: (laughs) And so then he's flying along and he finds this formation on Krypton that is the big S symbol. But it's giant. It's like ten times the size of his crystal ship. Just carved into the rock. Why? Hell if I know. But then behind the S symbol comes Kryptonite. Well, yes, he's at Krypton. Kryptonite is chunks of Krypton. I don't know why only some of Krypton is Kryptonite. But now the Kryptonite starts to affect him inside this crystal ship. And then more Kryptonite meteorites come from nowhere and start breaking his ship apart. And so he's passing out from the effects of the Kryptonite. And so he hits an emergency return to Smallville button and passes out.
2: Ah. Well, you know, I do think I might have an answer to why it wasn't used. Singer was pretty coy about it, but at Comic-Con, he stated that the sequel that he was going to make would be all about what Superman found in outer space in those five years. So maybe just like Superman 2 repurposed the jailing of the Kryptonian Zod prisoners, maybe this would be something that he'd use as the opening of the sequel we'll never get. I don't understand why Kryptonite would
1: hurt him on Krypton. The whole kryptonite thing makes no sense to me in this regard, but it was an impressive looking sequence.
2: It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it looked good. Then again, that might be my review of this whole film. I would say this. I get a different vibe by the fact that we don't know what he was doing and never shown that we were doing and that when we see him, his return is almost in isolation. He goes back to hiding as Clark. He does not seem to be jumping into the outfit. I get the sense that there is some resentment to having to be playing the savior, that he left us not to find his roots. Okay, maybe that was part of it. I really got the sense of he was tired of the burden of being the savior of the world and needed to go backpacking at the family ancestry tree. It was a way of regrouping, refinding who he was and seeing if he still wanted the job.
3: I'm not sure where you got that. I just, again, it's a convenient thing to get him off the planet to set up this new status quo. We're going to find out about Lois and those big changes there. I think after listening to that description, Arnie, the less said the better. He left for five years to see if any of his people were still alive. And now he's back and he's got to deal with all these new changes.
2: Right, but he's not happy here. I mean, it should be pointed out, upon his return, he is not ready to do it again. I have to wonder, even, if he would put on the suit if Lois wasn't put in peril here. I feel like he, more than anyone, doesn't feel like this world deserves or needs Superman. He might be the fan of Lois' article. We find out that she has written him off and written a Pulitzer essay in which she basically said the world no longer needs this kind of superstar. I'm gonna go a
1: completely different way. I can't come up with an in-universe reason for any of this at all. What I can say is, to me, this is Singer's slavish recreation of Donner's 1978 original. That one started with Kal-El on Krypton, and then he crashed in Smallville. And if you look at this cutscene included, it starts with Kal-El on Krypton. It's a different Krypton. It starts with the voice of Jor-El. Here it's in the opening, whereas before it was actually Marlon Brando. He was not available for this movie because he was dead. And... (laughs) Then he crashed in Smallville and there was his mother, who was the one who took him in, in the 78 original. The father's like, we're gonna find his parents. And the mom's like, well, no, he doesn't have any.
2: Not around here. Like, she's somehow psychically new. Well, he crashed in a spaceship. (laughs) Yeah, not psychically (laughs) new. She knew he was an alien. She knew what she was adopting. It was Alf. It was (laughs) (laughs) E.T. I think they are just recreating that scene
1: by scene, and what Clark is feeling—that's a hell of a good question. I don't know. I will also tell you that there's a cut scene of him just wandering around his mom's house, and for some reason, she's a bit of a hoarder. She has stacks and stacks of newspapers from while he was gone, and he reads through all of them at all of these tragedies that had he been here, he could have occurred, and it really tears him apart. At one point in the script, it was actually going to be upset that he
2: didn't stop 9/11. They smartly took that. Uh. Well, it's in here. It's subtextual. But let's face it, when he finally decides to pull open the shirt, when he finally decides that he's ready to do this again, and it's after going to the bar with Jimmy. I mean, I want to point out here, he is not Quick to put on the tights and be a hero. He seems burdened. He seems troubled by it. He does so in order to save a falling plane. I think they did not want him to fight Al Qaeda terrorists, but I think they did want to conjure a world that has gone crazy, that has been burdened with problems that are so large that what would it be like for Superman to come into our modern world and deal with? I mean, the fact that the first thing that he faces is an airplane crash, I don't think that's accidental. I think that is a 9 callback and all the nine eleven you need.
3: And as Arnie has pointed out, I also took it as a callback to that original Superman film because who's on that plane? Well, the same person that was on the helicopter that he saved when he first made his appearance. Lois Lane. Right.
1: Yeah. I don't think that there's a 9-11 allegory there. I think it's an aping of that original beat for beat. Why doesn't he get into the tights right away? He didn't in the first one either. It has to be Lois falling from a flying vehicle that puts him in the tights. He has to go to Metropolis. He has to get his job back. It's just like the original, only less interesting because the original, it was all fresh and new. And this one, we're all sitting here still having seen it going, what the hell is going on?
3: We don't know. One of the biggest changes here, again, I think here's why he's so sullen. Here's why he's hanging out at the bar with Jimmy is Lois has moved on. She got over Superman. She's now shacking up with Perry White's nephew, Cyclops, (laughs) Richard White. And she's got a kid. And I guess Clark's assuming that it's her and Richard's kid at this point.
2: Although no one else would make that mistake. And I think that it's telegraphed for the youngest members of the audience that this is a five-year-old kid. Well, how long has Superman been gone? Five years? We know. We know exactly what the dilemma is. Is that Superman's son is being raised by another man. And what's he going to do about that? And how is he going to win Lois back?
3: From a guy who takes really good care of her and has accepted her and her bastard son. That is a dilemma. Do I want to see this family broken up by Superman?
1: Yeah, in fact, Jason has the last name of White. He's named after his to-be father. I think that's there to throw us off as to who the father really is. And they do everything to take us off the trail. The kid's asthmatic, he's sickly, everything's wrong with him. Why would you think he's Superman's son? But you've got, as the other man here... Richard White, played by James Marsden, Cyclops. This is why he died so painfully in X3 as he was busy doing this with Brian Singer, and I think that the biggest problem this guy has is he's too nice, and women don't like the nice guy. He is as bland and good here as he was as Cyclops, and why do you not want Lois with him? Even though he flies planes and likes horror movies, he really comes off as boring. I don't know if that's how the
2: character's written or how Marsden plays every role he is ever had, but... <laughs> I think that we're not supposed to hate him. I think we're supposed to think of him as a threat. We want to see Superman get back with Lois. I don't know why because I thought that storyline had resolved. I thought it was understood. Lois can't be with Superman. But that's always the romantic in us. Knows that that's the true couple. That's the one that we're supposed to want. So anybody that's coming between them is a problem. And the fact that this guy is such a kind of doofus. You know, he's privileged and just kind of clueless. He doesn't know anything about Superman. The five-year has to tell him about his powers and how it all works. I don't know where he's been for the last five years, but he clearly has been not paying attention to world events. He's just sort of a self-absorbed, rich guy who's just vague. I think it would be more interesting if the conflict was that we might secretly understand that Lois and Richard together was a good thing, but they don't play it that way. At no point do we ever feel like Richard is an equal, that we think Lois is smarter than him. And Lois is different in this time. I think Brandon Routh is intentionally a waxwork of what Christopher Reeve tried to do. But Lois is not Margot Kidder. It's a conscious choice to go a different way here.
3: My biggest problem with Kate Bosworth, this is no Margot Kidder. She is way tempered down. She pulls out a cigarette every once in a while. I don't think she ever actually smokes one. My problem is, again, you are calling back to those first two films so strongly. And now I got a Lois that was, what, 17 when she wrote this Pulitzer Prize winning article of Superman leaving five years ago? Like, it's just weird that causes these disconnects where, oh, I want to be honoring these Donner films, but then we're going to change things with this weird timeline that doesn't work. And Lois, as crazy as Kidder was, Bosworth, eh, she's kind of boring here now.
1: I like her so much better than Margot Kidder, it's unbelievable.
3: Are you serious? Come on, Arnie.
1: I am dead serious. I think she is a good Lois Lane. I believe her to be intelligent. I believe her to be someone who is fetching enough to catch a Superman's eye. I find her to be a fairly dutiful parent. I like this Lois Lane. I can't say that she's as memorable as Margot Kidder's Lois Lane, (laughs) but all in all, I never warmed to Margot Kidder. I always thought she was too hoarse and raspy and crazy. I didn't know about the crazy at the time, but I felt it. And Kate Bosworth, she's
2: fine. I kind of like her. She's not fine. She is way too timid to be a go-getter here. I don't know what they see in her. I don't know what she even did. She had done a movie with Kevin Spacey just prior that was a pet project of his, Beyond the Sea. So maybe she just came with a recommend and they took her. No, maybe. That's what happened.
1: And it wasn't Singer's first choice.
2: She was one of the few actresses who would agree to take the job without seeing a script. Yeah, it had to be that. If there had been a contest, she would have lost. Proof To that, where's Kate Bosworth now? Has she done another movie after this? I literally never saw her again. And she makes no impression here. Say what you will about Kidder. She ran the table. You knew when she was on screen. Her energy was fierce. This girl is just timid. And I really feel like one of the biggest problems I have is Lois and Kate Bosworth in this movie. She's much more unlikable to me than Kidder ever was. And she's the one that could clear up this confusion. She's the one that didn't tell Richard, hey, you know what? it may not be your son. She just swallows all of that. She basically is so hurt by the betrayal of Superman leaving, she takes it personally. And I'm not sure that she's wrong. I do wonder if maybe a subtext of this is that Superman freaked out that he couldn't be with her, and that's part of why he did that home trek back to Krypton. I really feel like the Krypton thing is an excuse, and that the real reasons he left are much more personal. Are you
1: saying that you think Richard thinks he's Jason's dad? Because I never got that.
3: I was just going to ask that. So did she shack up with Richard the next day after she got the super kiss and forgot everything?
1: No, no.
3: I never had any idea that he wouldn't think that
2: it was his kid.
1: No, I thought that he met her after she was already a single mom. And if you think you fathered a son with a woman, you don't continue to date her for five years and then go, hey, let's get hitched. That doesn't make any sense. I figured the whole time he doesn't know who the dad is but he knows it isn't him. Well, how long have they been
2: married? They're not married. What? They're not married? They're engaged, Stuart. Oh, I misunderstood that. I presumed that it was a done deal, that they were married, that this was a ship that had sailed, that Superman had lost, and that all of this had transpired long ago. No, no. Lois is available.
1: She's engaged, but how often is that broken in a romance film?
2: Well, then maybe I won't judge Brandon Routh so hard for making the second act of this movie a stalker scenario <laughs> in which he's hovering outside her house using x-ray vision to see what she might be doing. Oh, no, you should still judge him harshly for that because that's freaking creepy. I thought the same thing, super stalker. It's a different take. I mean, I know they want to go with Reeve here, but it's like the anime version of Reeve, right? He's got bigger doe eyes, and they didn't go with the muscles. There's just something more sensitive and internal and romantic about him. It clearly seems a part of the vision here that Superman is a romantic and distraught over the relationship. And again, I say I think part of what he couldn't handle about Earth life was not being able to be with Lois. I do feel like until he solves this conflict, they can't give us a Superman movie that we might want more. They can't give us an action movie. They have to solve the conflict of him going away by solving the relationship issue between Lois and Superman.
3: I think this is all a problem with Singer coming from X-Men. X-Men, you want to do a soap opera love triangle between Cyclops, Jean Grey, and Wolverine. Perfect. Perfect story to do that with. True to the comics. I think you try to bring that in here where you got Superman trying to break up a relationship with a pretty stable dude that's, I don't know, I don't got a problem with Richard. I think he's a great guy. But that's good conflict. But is it the Superman conflict? Is it the Boy Scout who never lies conflict to come in after five years and go, Ah, I'm going to kick this dude out. Thanks for raising my kid. I don't know if it's right for this character. I get that it's a conflict, but is it a conflict for this character that they've defined? And again, I got to go back to Superman and Superman 2 because they're saying that's in continuity. Is this the same Superman from those films or is this a totally different character? Is this Superman out of character from what Singer is supposed to be doing?
2: Well, for me, neither Ralph nor Bosworth have anything on Kidder and Reeve. I just don't think they're as good. And obviously, they've been told to emulate rather than create their own versions of what's going on. So, yeah, they can only look weaker by the way they've been saddled into this story here. But while this may not be the conflict I wanted upon Superman's return, I understand and accept that this is where Singer's headspace is, that he needs to resolve Lois and Superman before he can do anything else. And he said that at Comic-Con. He said, I will give you an action-packed sequel, but I wanted this to be the romance.
3: But if this is in continuity with Superman 2, well, that resolved that romance. What is there to resolve now, except now they threw a kid into the mix?
2: I would say that it may be this, and it's me reading into it, but it's what I see. Superman said he was fine with it, but truly couldn't handle the fact that he couldn't be with Lois, and he left. And he put the world in danger because of it. And not only that, not only did he miss out on Lois, I thought, because she got married, but at the very least is now cohabitating with somebody who can serve her daily needs, but he missed the court date for Lex Luthor, and we get our favorite bad guy back with Kevin Spacey spin on the character. My favorite bad guy is Zod or maybe the Joker, (laughs) but we get the iconic Superman bad guy back. True enough. That's what I meant. The nemesis, the one that we think of as being Superman's villain. And you said that you thought Bosworth and Routh were told to emulate
1: the previous ones. I think Routh does that pretty well I'm not sure about Bosworth but Spacey was specifically directed don't watch the originals don't try to bring a hackman performance we don't want that in this film or singer didn't want that in this film
3: oh and you definitely get that they play the character differently there's always a humorous side to Hackman's Luther and yeah Spacey he does have humorous lines but there is a lot more menace that he carries in his presence Hackman Luther uh, I could probably hang with that dude this one well he's gonna beg my grandma watch her die and And take all my stuff that i would have inherited
1: that seems like a callback to something that verbal kint would have done more than let's luther
2: (laughs) yeah and the actress that's apparently playing her she was one of the lois lanes from the tv show not the one from old men but i guess she was season two george reeves lois lane I feel like he's pretty Gene Hackman here. I actually think that all of this feels like, if anything, a fear of changing anything that worked about what was going on with Luther in those first two movies. Not only does Spacey feel like he's doing Hackman, but Parker Posey feels like she's doing Miss Tashbacher. There's no Otis this time. I guess all of the men are kind of the Otis. He has a troop of sort of generic hoods that he met in prison. But all of these people really feel like they could have been in the first movie or the second movie.
1: I think that Gene Hackman never would have shacked up with grandma. He was happy living beneath Park Avenue. He didn't need that kind of money to pull off his schemes the way this Luther wants to be rich first
2: and then own an island second. You have a problem with the fact that he basically played a suitor to a dying old woman? I don't have a problem with it, I just don't
1: see it as the same Lex Luthor we had before. I think it's great to set up a manipulative asshole, which is what he plays here. But this Lex doesn't have the jovial attitude that Hackman had. This one never cracks a smile that I can recall.
3: Well, come on. This one has spent some time in prison. We know what happens in prison. He's got less reason to smile.
2: I thought he was kind of funny giving the little girl the wig and saying you get this I'm taking everything else you know when he runs into Lois later and kidnaps her he doesn't glower and choke her he's like brushing his teeth and like huh what are you doing here I feel like Kevin Spacey is definitely sort of the nonchalant villain and maybe part of the problem with Superman Returns is that there is no Zod there is no even supercomputer or nuclear man there is no ultimate evil to really butt up against our main character it's not a movie about good versus evil. It's more like a movie about ego against purity, and I feel like Superman represents virtue and this guy represents himself, and that's the battle here. And that's less interesting.
1: I don't think they represent anything other than in the first one, Lex Luthor had a plan that would wipe out half of the U.S. in order to have beachfront property, and in this one, Lex Luthor has a plan that's going to wipe out half the U.S. in order to have beachfront property. To me, he is just redoing everything hacked did in 1978. It is the same plot. It is the same pacing. I bet if I synced these two movies up, Superman would take Lois for a fly at about the same minute in the edit. It certainly feels like it's at the same place. I feel that Lex's plot would come in at the same point. I feel that Superman would be stopping disasters caused by Lex throwing a crystal in the water at the same time as he stopped a nuclear missile crisis before. It's just a replay. I don't think there's symbolism. I think if it wasn't Superman, if it was anybody else, we'd be calling it a blatant ripoff. Can you rip off yourself? It's almost like the
2: Psycho remake to me. This begs the interesting question then, and it's the one I really want to put to you guys. You're the lifelong Superman fans. You love that first movie so much. So
3: why are you so hateful towards this? For me, we don't have Kidder. We don't have Reeve. Spacey, I think he plays Luther differently, but I think he's on par with Hackman there. But to me, this is the emo Superman. I never got that feeling in Donner's original. To me, he was always bright-eyed. He's in the city. Wow, this is neat. Like, everything seemed so neat to that Donner Superman in that original film. Here, it's, oh, I'm gonna go to the bar with Jimmy and drink. I'm so depressed. I guess this is what you do in a modern Superman film. We'll see next week. But I almost feel like doing the Boy Scout thing is something they didn't have faith in the public buying in 2006 and Maybe in 2013. I mean, we get the line from Perry White. Does he still stand for truth, justice, and all that other stuff? They wouldn't even want to bring up the American way. They were scared to go with that Boy Scout image, and it's played down, and we get a very different character here. I'm not saying that Superman always has to be happy, but especially if you're going off of those first two films, you're building off of that, and keeping that character in here is something totally different. This is a dour, sad film.
1: I agree with everything Jacob said, but I'm going to add to it. Not only is the script giving us a dour and sad Superman, but Routh is playing it so differently than Reeve did. While they have a physical resemblance that's seriously creepy, Reeve played such a great bumbling Clark, and yet such a noble, stand-up, inspirational, to go back to Jacob's words, Superman. Here, as Clark, Routh is... Plain As Superman, Routh is unbelievable. He just has the physique, but he does not portray strength. This was one of his very first roles. Routh would go on to do things I liked him in, but here, I feel he didn't have the confidence to be the Man of Steel. It doesn't come through on the screen during any of the scenes. Despite how much the effects have improved since 1978, I never believed this man can fly, and I did believe Reeve could. And the other thing is the First Superman film, when we discussed it, you equated it to a biblical epic and those stories that start at birth and end at death, these massive epic stories. I said, with Superman 78, and you guys argued against me, I said it had pacing problems. I said it didn't have a strong villain, but I said what I liked about it was Superman's life story. I love the way it's told. I love the way things evolve and I love the way that It ends up resolving, and Reeve carries so much of that. Here, you've got the same pacing problems I called out in 78. You've taken away the evolution. Yeah, there's a flashback to where he was a teen and running, which I bet if I timed it, comes at the same time he was running next to a train in that first one, but it means nothing. So the other one had problems, but it had some great strengths. This has some problems.
2: Where's the great strength? Well, a couple things to address this. It is a different world that they're entering him into. It's our world, 2006, which was a very dour, unhappy time. Superman doesn't fight for the American way. He fights for the global way, and we see that. He flies up into space. He can hear everyone on the planet calling for help. He is a dour superhero because he does not feel he can manage what he's been asked to do. And you're right. That first movie moved like a biblical epic. It was, in some ways, a secular version of the Jesus Christ story. How do you write a sequel to Jesus? I don't know. When Jesus comes back, he's not supposed to hang out and correct little problems. He's coming back and wiping out all evil and everything's over. That's what the challenge is with Act 2, is that Superman is supposed to come back. I sense him grappling with the, how am I supposed to be a savior in this kind of broken world? And the screenwriters really don't have an answer. They mask that by just kind of doing a lot of callbacks. What I would say is too many callbacks. They have a crisis of creativity. They ultimately hang back and do things they've done before, rather than ask some of the more provocative questions that this movie is trying to raise, and that, let's face it, as pathetic and dime-store as it looked, Quest for Peace got into similar trouble as well, when it tried to deal with a contemporary worldview and Superman facing it.
3: That's bowing down to the audience too much. The 70s weren't that great. The economy sucked, there were oil lines, gasoline shortage. And yet... Hey, let's give something inspiring here. It's okay. Yeah, we all suck. We got wars going on. I just wish this wasn't tied to those first two Superman. Start it over then. Do it about a Superman. Do that origin story where he's struggling to find his place. Does he want to take on this calling? I just feel that maybe making this the third part of a Superman story wasn't the best idea then.
1: Yeah, if what you're saying, Stuart, is that in this world, they have to try to make Superman fit the times, then that's the wrong approach. Approach to take, And it's the exact same thing Mankowitz said to Reeve when Reeve said I want Superman to stop nuclear proliferation. That's not the right tack to take with Superman. It is the wrong story to tell. So if this is the creative vision they had, they needed to pass on this one just like they passed on Burton, passed on Abrams, and go to the next one because it doesn't work. You're trying to apply themes to this. I don't see them, but if they're there, they're
2: not working everything has themes. The themes are there. But whether they're working for you, I cannot say. I can say that they're trying things and it's struggling to match them. They can't. They can't answer some of these questions. They can't bring him back into the world after 9-11 and pretend like Al-Qaeda doesn't exist. I really don't think that audiences would have accepted that in this kind of version of what they were doing. They chose to go back to that vibe of that old one. And was that a mistake? Maybe that's what we'll argue when we get to the end of this podcast. It was Certainly, what was expressed to singer point blank at Comic Con. I'll never forget comic book fan getting up to the microphone and saying, No disrespect, Richard Donner was sitting right next to him, but why did you choose to do an old man's movie when Superman in the comic is nothing like this? I, a lot of the complaint about Superman Returns is that they did not want to give us a new vision by going back to Donner. They created a lot of problems for new fans that wanted a more action-oriented, less realistic, less romantic approach. But Stuart, Jacob and I are not new fans.
1: And I think both of us would have enjoyed a good film that could carry on that Richard Donner spirit. This isn't it because this doesn't try to continue Donner's story. It tries to retell beat- beat what he did in the first movie there's a dark difference between those two
2: sure but you did like that first movie I want to say that a slavish imitation still should give you some joy right I said why I liked it it's because it also had the life
1: story the evolution from boy to man of Superman that this doesn't have so while it's slavish in its timing and its beats it misses the story
3: You know, this is one of the things, and again, we'll talk about this more next week. One of the things that worries me about Snyder is he is great. You give him a comic to film, he will film that so it looks just like the page. But he doesn't get the meaning behind it. And that's how I feel about this Superman. Yes, they're showing me things I want. When he saves that plane falling out of the sky, I am into this film. It's great. When bullets are bouncing off of his eyeballs, love it. That's great. He's Superman doing Superman things. Unfortunately, for the most of this film, it's Superman doing unsuperman things. And if you want to totally change the character, that's fine. Reboot the series then.
2: I don't think they've changed the character I they can't retell us who he is we already know that by making it a sequel and not a reboot they can't tell us the life story they have to deal with the fact that Lois is sour the world is sour I mean this is somebody coming back to find something they loved broken and trying to put the shards together it's an inherently more dramatic less action conflict is that a mistake it sounds like it's a mistake for you guys but I'm trying to accept the movie for what it was given I can say at the time when 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 I first saw the movie, I thought it was a curious take, but I was kind of digging it. It doesn't have as much rewatchability. I'll give you that. Coming back, this second act really does take way too long before Lois gets kidnapped. Superman completely drops out, and it's Lex Luthor not needing all of his henchmen sitting around a jewelry carving device waiting so he can dump the thing into the ocean. It takes a really long time to get to where the real plot is.
3: What does Lex do? He goes back to the Fortress of Solitude, steal some more crystals. Like Superman. He did that in the last film. Put a damn door on that thing. And I thought all those crystals got blown up anyways, but I guess we're only supposed to remember the things that are convenient to remember.
1: Yeah, it's got some continuity issues there. And here's the thing is, I said the 78 film has pacing issues. This has them too. And without something like Reeves' performance to hook me in, this thing's a clock watcher. It really is. I couldn't believe just how long it went. And when the plot finally kicks in, because we get a lot of Kevin Spacey and Cal Penn, Kumar from Harold and Kumar. We've now visited both Harold and
2: Kumar in franchise films. But never, they're franchised together, yes.
1: And does he have a line? I keep waiting for Kumar to speak.
2: (laughs) He does not speak. It seems to be written that he would not have a line. That's the intention is that he's the silent type. That my sense is, if he does anything, he's the guy that does all the etching and the carving. That he probably was a jewel thief and that he was shaving down the Ethiopian meteorite they steal from the museum down to a kryptonite cylinder that they can stick the crystal in to create the crypto continent.
1: And I do like that the meteorite they stole was from Addis Ababa from the first movie. It was not just any. plays in ethiopia
3: i did like that so i guess there were separate chunks that lex stole each time (laughs) but
1: their plot is so drawn out and lex throws a crystal into the ocean and it builds this island but he shows us how it's going to kill billions so i keep waiting for him to actually build the island that's going to kill billions and no it's just the one island i didn't even know the plot had kicked in when the plot kicked in
3: Here's the crazy thing about this plot. So yes, he's going to build a new continent that will kill billions in its formation, which seems like a problem when you want to sell that land to billions of people to populate, to make money off of it. Also, it's really hard rock. Not great for farming, not really sure what they're going to build on there or what the economy is going to be. I don't know why the powers of the world just can't nuke it to get rid of Lex. He built it to stop Superman.
1: It's a kryptonite island. He never thought about, oh, the military.
3: Yes, Superman has made us all so lazy. But here's the crazy thing. He talks about, oh, I'm going to have space age technology that I'm going to get from these crystals. We've never seen a missile or a gun form out of these crystals. It's just lines you're saying, to create menace where there is no payoff.
1: In the opening scene, we kind of saw the spaceship be crystalled. Okay, so
3: he's going to reignite the space race, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. There's something just so simple about saying, hey, I'm going to launch a nuke towards New Jersey and another one towards California and watch half of California sink into the ocean so I can then sell the land. Like, that's crazy, but there is a simplicity to it. They don't make it hard to comprehend like they do here, where you got multiple crystals, but we only fire one. How are we going to sell? Like, they just make this overly complicated, and they ask questions that they don't want to answer.
1: The entire crystal inclusion was a mistake. Lex needed a different land plot.
2: I'm not against this plot. I kind of like it. I like the callback to it. I like that it's thematically in keeping, that what Gene Hackman was trying to do is still here. I like what it does for Superman. Superman went away to find Krypton, and he's going to find it, ironically, in the place that he left. That Krypton is going to reemerge here on Earth, I think that's a good battle for him. I think that they don't do enough of it. I'd like to see how he uses the crystals to create an army. I think what's really lacking here is the sense of how he's going to enforce his new empire. That's what's really lacking. I don't think it's going to come from these four bozos that are kind of hanging out, really doing nothing. Unlike some of the other better Superman movies, the henchmen here, really, really weak. Yet they're the only ones who
1: succeed in kicking Superman's ass when he finally shows up at the island. This is perhaps one of the few good scenes that get me emotionally. I mean, yes, the bullet on the eye is cool, and yes, catching the airplane is cool, but none of them move me the way seeing a humanized Superman just get the shit kicked out of him
3: on that island. I did want to do some research into the stations of the cross where you see, you know, the persecution of Christ and him crucified. At one point, he does get the spike in the side the kryptonite spike like christ was impaled when he was on the cross i was waiting for the flogging in the crown of thorns at this point they play it just a little too dramatic a little too long for me like at first yeah you get that first time where superman's kicked down on the ground and you see the beads of sweat and that's dramatic but then it just goes on for far too long for me it, okay i get the point there's kryptonite he's weak he's gonna die
2: I think it's good. I think it's an effective callback. It's sort of an extreme version of that trucker beating him up after he gave away his powers in Superman 2. It feels like that. Call back at that moment of, oh, now that I'm on Krypton, the place that I thought I wanted to be, I can't be the man to fight off these guys. It's not just the henchmen that are beating him up. Lex gets the first and toughest punch in. He's the one that shanks him. And I like that he does that too. It really sells that he was at prison. I think that that's a really effective moment. But it's these other goons. I'm telling you it's these other ones. The big guy with the camera or the guy with the clown tattooed on his head that the kid kills. The Superman doesn't even kill him.
3: So we have this whole mystery of Jason. Who is his parentage? Is it Richard? Is it Superman? We find out. Lois and Jason, they're trapped by one of the goons on the ship, and the goon goes to hurt Lois after she faxes for help, and he pushes a piano and smashes him. I got issues when your first manifestation of superpowers is murdering someone. If you want to go with some other superhero that's cool with that, then go for that. But this Superman, it just bugs me that that's the first thing that happens when this kid gets his superpowers. He kills a guy.
2: The way that it plays, I'm cheering, but hearing you as the comic book fan really calling out what these characters mean, you did it for me as well on Batman, that their ethics here, and that these characters don't just have strength to flex their muscles, they also have the resources and the mental know-how of how to best use them, and I forget that. When I watched this, I thought it was fun to see the little wimpy kid kick the big guy's ass. I thought it worked, but you're right. Maybe it is a problem that he does do somebody here. Maybe he shouldn't have died. Maybe that is too extreme, but I feel like we really wanted to see that because this guy's coming at Lois. We think that he's going to do all kinds of horrible violations, at least kill her, maybe take advantage of her. It's not clear. It's a really kind of scary moment, and we're relieved that the kid, rather than having an asthmatic attack, intervenes. Yeah,
1: if it wasn't him defending his mom, I'd agree with you, Jacob, but he's defending his mom from a killer with a John Wayne Gacy tattoo. I'm okay with him killing him.
3: Again, this is the problem with this script for me, is they write things that have to happen a certain way. Obviously, if some dude's gonna rape or murder Lois, yes, I want him stopped. I just, again, just a bit more thought in this script would have helped. Break the dude's legs. Why you gotta kill him? I think with superheroes, especially ones with powers like these, it's not their powers that make them great. It's going back to the whole Spider-Man thing. It's not the powers, it's the responsibility you decide to take that makes you great. It's being responsible, it's the ethics. Anyone with superpowers could kill a dude, but can you be creative enough to stop someone to stop a murder to stop a rapist whatever to bring them to justice without having to murder them yourself and I think in the best Superman stories we've always said there's this problem that he is a god what kind of fun things can we see him beat up I mean he could beat up anything so that's kind of boring the best Superman stories are when he ultimately has to go to his mind and use that to outsmart people and I would just like to see a Superman movie like that that brings out that best aspect it's easy for Superman to punch someone to death let's show the other side of him and they blew it here with the kid.
2: I don't have a problem with anything that's happening. I have a problem with when it's happening. They could have gotten to this Lois got kidnapped storyline literally 40 minutes before they do. That they spend so much time redoing the flying and having this whole debate here. It's kind of like what they did with Star Trek with Kirk and Spock who used to be great friends and then in the reboot it's all about how they're mortal enemies. They really feel like they need to sell us on the idea that Lois hates Superman and that this is the conflict of the movie nothing can go forward until Lois loves Superman again. It just doesn't seem like a strong enough conflict to fill the middle of this movie. It's fine to have that as a theme, but themes are best shown and not told, and there was a lot of blah blah blah. We would understand this better if Lois, instead of calling for Superman's help here, decides she could take it on her own. There's ways of demonstrating her resentment without talking about it in scene after scene after scene, or giving us a chucklehead like Richard to fail from rescuing her here when the boat goes. Was all titanic and superman does use his mind since he can't
1: have superpowers on the island he goes under it
3: um yeah except there's kryptonite under the island and he has a kryptonite chunk in him so i guess that's using your mind i wish the movie used its mind kryptonite kills the guy and now we're gonna see him lift an entire island of kryptonite while he has kryptonite stuck in him i guess it doesn't really kill him or maybe it's like those Molman rays it takes hours to kill him
2: Eh, you know, it's killing him. It is killing him. It's just not instantaneous. Whereas in 78, they put a rock on a chain and threw it around his neck and he could barely spread water in a pool. Here, he's got a little piece of it and he's sinking to the bottom of the Atlantic.
3: I guess I wouldn't have a problem with this. Again, one, if this was a reboot and they said, oh, it just weakens him a lot and it takes a really long time. But even Lex calls out when he's testing it with Jason. He's like, who's who's his father? And he's holding that. He's like, this will kill him. They call out that kryptonite is deadly in this film. And it's not. That is a problem.
2: Yeah, it is too easy for him. And it's because they don't have an answer for getting rid of the big Kryptonian continent. There is no other way to handle it except for Superman to throw it away. And in order for him to do that, there would have to be some reason for him to deal with the Kryptonite. I guess what they're saying is by the time that the Kryptonite crystals have sprouted to the point in which he's holding the rock, he's already in space. He doesn't really throw it away, he kind of just pushes it away and falls back to Earth, Christ-like. I mean, had that happened earlier, had they grown at a faster rate, we're to presume he would have never gotten it airborne. Well, you know your Superman's in trouble when Cyclops has to save his ass. Who likes Cyclops, though? Let's face it. This actor was never a great character in any of the X-Men movies. It's almost like Singer can only typecast him as the ineffectual other guy. He's the Greg Kinnear here. There's always that guy, or Bill (laughs) Pullman. There's always the one in the romantic comedies that there's no reason for you to dislike him. You just don't want Meg Ryan to get with them. You want the stars of the movie to wind up together, and that's why we don't like Richard. They try. They try to have it both ways. You know, first, Superman saves them from the sinking ship and then richard repays the favor by pulling him out of the water he's the one flying the plane they want to show that both men can fly but come on comparatively he's never going to fly like superman i don't know how much we're supposed to root for a guy we don't want to end up with lois
3: and again i don't know if we don't want him to end up with lois i I still remain on richard's side here i mean this is a dude with no powers that's going out there and trying to save the day
1: I'm trying to decide if we're supposed to root for him, if this is supposed to be their way of telling us he is worthy of Lois, he is an equal to Superman, but in the end, I have nothing against James Marsden. He is fine in everything. 30 Rock, Sex Drive, 27 Dresses, X-Men this, he's fine. But, God, he just never makes an impression. Every time he showed up on 30 Rock, I'm like, oh, they didn't write him off yet.
2: Yeah, I haven't seen him in much, and the fact that I can't recall what I've seen outside of X-Men tells you that you're absolutely right. He is a very generic screen presence. He has the sheen of a good-looking guy that never quite was, like the stand-in until Brad Pitt shows up on screen. He just isn't star material, or it never found the vehicle to make him that star. It's curious. I don't know how to feel about him, but it's not strongly one way or the other. And even when he's flying this plane, we get that moment we're supposed to think
1: the plane crashed. I never thought the plane crashed. No, come on. What I had hoped is that the plane went down and Superman would be saving the day and doing something interesting. But no, Richard
2: veered up. I think they're going for an expanded view of families here. They're getting beyond the nuclear family where it's a man and a woman and a child. They recognize that in today's relationship that their women marry other men that have children by other men. I feel like that's a more contemporary view. In some ways, it's kind of applaudable that I don't know if he's become the pet dog, but Superman is a part of the family at the end of this. I do feel like he's told he matters when he crashes down to Earth. And do they bring him back? Is it the fact that they pull the last shrapnel of kryptonite out of him that brings him back to life? Or is it the fact that Lois go to his bedside?
1: I took it as the kryptonite because them showing up at the bedside doesn't make sense from a logical point of view. And they try to give him an injection. As soon as they pull the kryptonite out, they try to give him an injection and the needle bends. That tells me right there he's fine.
0: Yeah,
3: I took it as, you know, the reverse fairy tale. The sleeping prince gets the kiss from the girl and it finally awakens him. I don't even know why we have this ending.
2: Because if the movie is about anything, I hear you guys are saying it's not, but to me, it's about Lois coming to terms with Superman and whether the world needs him or not. This is that moment that Superman realizes he wants to stay and fight on because she does indeed love him and she can recognize and reconcile that even though she wants to be with him, she's going to stay with Richard and Ray or child in a more traditional fashion. and I think that it does sort of come together. It takes way too long. I'll tell you what, I can't believe that this was like 20 minutes of the movie. I feel like E.T. didn't do this much self-pitying when he had his little <laughs> death routine here. I mean, it really goes on here. But my heart light is dimming, but I think that what's happening here is that they're cleaning up the mess of the relationship stuff, and that when Superman comes to visit his son and Lois at the end here, he He's okay with the role. His dourness would be gone. If he had a sequel, we wouldn't see him sulk anymore.
1: And I'm going to take it a different way. Lois died in 78. Clark dies here. It's just another tale. Lois can't fly up and turn the earth around, so she'll have the magic touch to bring him back. And you say this is a resolution of the relationship stuff. I still don't get that relationship stuff is resolved when the credits roll. Is she staying with Richard? If so, for how long? I honestly don't know. I still think this ends as a love triangle. I do not feel it's resolved that she is going to continue to marry Richard and Superman can go and throw himself into his work some more to ignore the fact that he's lonely.
3: Yeah, I mean, it ends with Superman stalking his son again, going into the bedroom this time, and whispering him um, sweet jor nothing into his ear, and he's going to do that for eighteen years. You know, he's just going to keep coming
1: and talking nonstop. No, it was just
3: twelve. It was just twelve space school. <laughs> But, I mean, will we see you around? I'm always around. So, yeah, this is going to be the guy that's continually dropping by, drunk late at night, trying to break up your
2: relationship. (laughs) Oh, you're so cynical here. He's not going to be around because this is the end. This version of Superman, it's over. We won't ever know how Singer would have carried on unless he chooses to reveal that in some commentary or some kind of expose. But I don't believe Singer will ever revisit this property. I don't believe Brandon Routh will ever put this cape on again. We'll have to leave it at this. I don't think anyone will let Singer near this property after this. I mean,
1: I kind of understand his point. (laughs) This movie is viewed as a pariah and a failure. He did say he doesn't know what constitutes success when this film makes $400
2: (laughs) Yes, well, we'll have to see if it's a success with our reviewers.
1: Alright, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend
2: Superman Returns?
3: Jacob. Here's the thing, if this was a week into release review, I might recommend it. I remember trying so hard to defend this film because I loved Superman and Superman 2, and this was a direct sequel from those. I'm like, how can you have a problem with this continent? It's just another land scheme, like Lex does in the first. And this happens, just like in that first super... Yeah, everything happens like in that first film, but there's something missing. There's a soullessness to this. I think one scene that really sums up this movie is Lex, he's building his island, it causes this tidal wave, this shock wave, this earthquake that's crumbling Metropolis down to the ground. Superman's running all over, saving it, much like he does with California. And at one point, the giant globe from the Daily Planet falls, and Superman rushes in and catches it heroically. He's holding it on his shoulders like Atlas holding up the world. And what does he do? Does he fly off and put it back on top of the Daily Planet? Does he put it somewhere where it won't harm anyone. No, he kind of just rolls it off his shoulders onto someone's car and crushes their car. That, to me, is the problem with this film. I love the effects in this. When Superman's doing heroic things, I'm into it. But whenever it goes for drama, Superman ends up looking like kind of a dick to me in this movie. Maybe he's going through growing pains, dealing with realizing his planet's gone and Lois has moved on. But none of that drama is ever sold to me in this film. It's not done in a satisfying way. So I could complain about this film. It's definitely not the worst Superman film. We talked about that, (laughs) that quest for peace. But this one, I think, is just more disappointing than anything. It had so much potential and it just ended up being such a disappointment with its failures. And I can't recommend it.
2: Stuart. In 2006, I was shocked to hear these kinds of complaints. I didn't know what people were thinking. I thought, come on, given all the ways that they struggled and Nick Cage and Justin Timberlake covered in goo and all the crazy things they were trying to do to reboot this property, to make something this nostalgic and close to the Donner vision was good enough coming back, I get the complaints. I get what you guys are saying. I really do. I understand how this is entertainment deficient. That it's caught up sort of in its own notions of what it wants to be and not really selling us on the thrill of it. It's not super, but it's not bad either. I'm going to stand by and give it a mild recommend here. I feel like there is a lot of things that are passable and kind of fun to return to. I feel like it's kind of like a high school production of a great Broadway play. I mean, it's lesser in every single way except maybe the effects. But I enjoyed the first two Donner movies and this is better than Superman 3 or 4 or Steel or even Supergirl. You know, it's not Crystal Skull. It is not the movie that people want to make it seem. It is not a bastardization of what was done before. It just falls short. And so it's a weak recommend, but it's not going to be a not recommend. I'll give it a pass.
1: When I think of the movies you haven't recommended and you Give this a pass. It feels like a kryptonite shank in my side. Oh. I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. This movie, I'm gonna quote Gandalf, THIS SHALL NOT PASS. I'm dumbfounded. I've lost my summation. Because you recommended this. I can't believe you see something redeemable in this. Because I don't see it. You equate it to a high school play. I equate it to a five-year-old in his daddy's coat. Trying to go through the motions his daddy does when he goes to work. Yeah, that's cute and all. Let's give him a pat on the head. But let's not hire the guy for a job. (laughs) This is atrocious. You say it's fun deficient. Yeah, right there. That should be enough for a not recommend. Attempt to have some. Failed idea of symbolism is not enough to give a recommend if it's a failed attempt at symbolism. This thing is empty and soulless, and I will never revisit it again. Out of all the Superman movies we've watched, including Steel, this is the one that I would be hardest-pressed to re-watch. Others may be technically worse, but there's some morbid enjoyment in watching Cheap failures like Planet Nine from outer space. That's how I put Superman three and four. At least they're shorter. Yeah, that too. This is gorgeously made. It is an amazing thing. You could take most frames of it and frame it on your wall as a good Superman piece of art. But it's just so dull. It, it doesn't have Richard Pryor for laughs. It doesn't have Nuclear Man for laughs. It doesn't have Shack for laughs. Not
2: recommend. Wow, that is really crazy harsh. If you have any love for Donner, I feel like you can see some of that love here and celebrate it and not castigate it for not what it isn't.
3: I'll go the opposite way, Stuart. I, I'm not going to say I'm going to watch Steel before this, but this retroactively gave me a sour taste to what Donner did because this did it so poorly. I'm like, why are you lingering here doing it wrong? Now I don't like anything Donner established because you're doing it so awful. It had the opposite effect of nostalgia. It, you know, sends shivers down my spine when people say they want the Donner cut over the Lester cut for Superman 2 because of this film. This is sour to me so much to what Donner did.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to say just because something tries to emulate something I like doesn't mean I'm going to like the knockoff.
2: Of course not. Of course not. It's a better knockoff than you're giving it. You're acting like it's threadbare that the emperor has no clothes. I'm saying he got it at Walmart. He got it at a discount. It's Kmart, but it's It's not unwearable. I mean, it is not shameful. I don't see the S as a badge of shame here. I feel like they tried, and it turned out okay. My definer, though, is that this film is as entertaining as study hall. I think that the real problem here is they made it so dramatic that they forgot about the action, and that is what you most hate, is the fact that you need that adrenaline to keep you
3: invested. No, 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 no! I don't like the drama in his. This is bad drama for the character. For the character that they established, that they're building off of this continuity of the first two films, this drama does not make any sense, and that's my problem. Yes, my problem's the drama, but it's not because I don't like drama, it's because it's bad, poorly executed drama.
2: Ditto. Exactly, Jacob.
3: High five on that.
2: Well, then let me ask this. I mean, it sounds like a crazy question, given all the wattage of what I'm feeling right now. But would you be willing to watch more in this universe if they threw all that out? If the next time Singer... Did a Mea Koopa and said, let's just make something crazy, we'll bring something from space, Brainiac and something, and we'll really give you that Rathacon, Superman 2, actiony one that doesn't have any of this pathos and this romantic triangle stuff? Would you have been okay with one more? Did they deserve to try again?
3: With Singer, no. I think he was too much of a liability for the franchise after this film, and people would have stayed away. Yes, this one made $400 million because we want a Superman movie. People want to see that. But after seeing this, nope, they don't want another Singer one.
1: I wouldn't want Singer back. I didn't see this one in theaters. I can't imagine what would have taken me to the next one. It would have had to have been amazing word of mouth. After Batman Begins, again, I know I don't have a popular opinion, I didn't plan on seeing The Dark Knight in theaters. I was just not going to do it. And... So many people told me it was so amazing that I'm like, all right, I'm going to go give it a try, even though I didn't like the first one. And they were right. It was an amazing sequel. They were planning a sequel with him, and it was going to be a Kryptonian villain. It wasn't going to be Zod. They were talking about Brainiac or Bizarro, because in a cut scene, they did mention that that island that he threw out entered orbit around Jupiter, and they've named it New Krypton. And that was going to be a major part of the next one, was there's a New Krypton and a New Kryptonian villain, and they were really planning on doing it. But pretty much, even though this movie made a lot in the box office, I think Warner agrees with Jacob's view of why it made so much. They heard the voices at Comic-Con, they hear the voices now, and they decided that Initially, it was going to be a new movie by 2008 or 2009, and now we get a reboot, and after revisiting this, yes, reboot it. I have so much nostalgia for the first two Donners, but if you can't do it right, don't do it at all.
2: Give me something totally new. And you know what? Even though I gave this one a pass, I'm going to agree with you guys on this one. I don't want any more from this universe. I think it was an interesting way of reflecting on the past. I want a forward-thinking Superman movie. What none of the sequels have done, including the superior Superman 2, is created something that was completely different from that original movie. I want to see something new. I don't care if he flies or not. I don't care if there's Krypton or not. I want new things from my Superman. I don't want them to emulate the biblical, majestic Donner vision of 1978. Whatever next week is, I do hope that it's radically different from anything we've seen before. That's my one wish for it. And I know it won't be completely radical. There is Zod, but it's a Michael Shannon Zod, so my hope's up.
3: I I think it was a New Year's resolution a couple years ago, but it was not to get that fanboy rage based on trailers, based on word of mouth, to wait for the film to come out, to judge it on that, and not get caught up in the hype. And it's been tough. Snyder, I I talked about my feelings for him. If You heard the Dawn of the Dead remake podcast, and I'm reserved. There's things that I've liked in the trailers. I'm reserved. It definitely does look like a new take. And I'm always willing, you know, I love the comics, but if you're able to set up a movie logic that works for that film, then I'm willing to accept it as an adept So I am reserved, but I've seen positive things in the few trailers that have been out there, and I got some hope for it.
1: Having finished all of the old movies in the Superman retrospective, I'm more excited for Man of Steel than I was before. Going back, when we started this retrospective with those amazing mole men, I was feeling already at the beginning of this retrospective kind of like I was in the middle of the Bond franchise. I was like, you know, I kind of liked Superman once, but I just didn't think I'd find a lot of enjoyment here. Christopher Reeve, 1978. 1980 really reminded me why I love Superman and got me excited for Superman. I'm not gonna read a comic, but reminded me of all those things I love, couldn't believe how well they held up, and that has made me excited to see Man of Steel. And I don't care if they're true to the comic, if they have a new vision, I know they took away his red panties, and the comic then changed to accommodate, so Superman's no longer wearing his underwear on the outside.
2: Probably for the best. Yeah.
1: I don't care if they change the comic because I'm not a Superman comic fan. I just want to see a good movie. But much like Jacob, I don't think Zack Snyder has it in him. So, I'm going in reserved. Any other director, and I would have higher hopes, but from the director of Sucker Punch and Watchmen? And these trailers haven't done anything to change my mind. So, despite being on a Superman high from Christopher Reeve, I'm going in with very muted expectations to see if Zack Snyder can make a second good film in his career. Because I don't think he can. He's
2: gotta prove me wrong. Well, no next week, but... If you're not excited for what we got coming in Superman, I'm pretty excited about what we got coming on Friday for the super donors. 28 weeks later, the conclusion to the Danny Boyle, 28 days later, zombie rage thing we've got going. I, I really enjoyed talking zombies all spring long. I think it's been a lot of fun. I hope you guys have been able to find some money and donate and join us for that conversation. Yes, we are in the gold level
1: donor podcast, but we did the Evil Dead series. All of those are available for anyone who donates $10 or more, plus World War Z after that comes out, and $25 or more, that's a gold level donation, you get all of the Evil Dead's World War Z. 5 Return of the Living Dead films And 28 days and 28 weeks later Just think about it We're here in the summer You gotta mow your lawn You gotta listen to something Yard work Pool parties with the family You can put in some earbuds This is over half a day of podcasts For $25 More than we've ever done For any donation drive in the past
2: Yeah, it's a lot of shows. There's a lot of content. And I think good stuff here, too. Stuff to recommend, stuff maybe not to recommend, but definitely to chew over. And It's been fun. I hope you can listen. You can find
1: all the details by clicking the banner at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com and there's just a couple of those DVD ROMs remaining as well that have all of our previous donation retrospective series. If you want to hear me talk about Zack Snyder's only good film and see if Jacob agrees that he even has one good film, we talked about his remake of Dawn of the Dead in our Romero retrospective last fall. You can hear Stewart talk about one of his favorite franchises, Alien. We'd have Poltergeist, Exorcist, Child's Play. Every podcast we did through the end of 2012, donation or not, the only way to get those old donation shows is on this DVD ROM set. We had to make a minimum number with the production company, but they are almost gone, and when they are gone, all of those shows will not be available again. You can find the details at nowplayingpodcast.com. So, Stuart Jacob, thank you for joining me. We will be back next week with Man of Steel. And until then, up, up, and
3: away!
0: I have to leave. I knew this time would come. We both knew it from the day we found you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. The virtuous spirit has no need for thankful approval, only the certain conviction that what has been done is right. Come to nowplayingpodcast.com each week as we review another Superman movie leading up to this summer's Man of Steel.
2: Again, again!
3: Superman's bad. I
0: mean, he was bad. In the archives at nowplayingpodcast.com, you can hear reviews of comic book movies such as all the Batman films, Green Lantern, Catwoman, the Marvel Avengers films, and many more. we have come a long way since the old neighborhood. You can also hear our reviews of non-comic based films, including Star Trek, Predator, James Bond, Rambo, Rocky, and more. never thought this thing would go the distance. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com.
3: No, this is a very special place for me. I wanted you to
0: see it. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss this review with other listeners. Let's go to my place. Maybe I should change this. You can also follow NowPlaying at Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. Why am I not reading it? The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com.
3: Superman will be there on Wednesday, all right?
1: The city of Metropolis is generous to a fault.
0: Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating.
2: Don't tell me he sends a check every week to his sweet
0: gray-haired old mother. Actually, she's silver-haired. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Now come on, lady, hand it over. Hey, Jim, boom! That's a bad outfit. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy panties. Do you like pink? Coffee mugs, t-shirts, totes, boxers, teddy bears, and much more. They have a wide selection. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. What What more could anyone ask? A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Now we're cooking, huh? Now Playing's Superman retrospective series is edited by Ray, Phil, Dylan, Jeff, and Arnie.
1: Your suffering will be short.
0: Mine, forever. Now Playing credit narration by Brock.
3: I do okay, or what? Relax.
0: Now playing is not affiliated with Warner Brothers Pictures. Superman is the property of DC Comics and Warner Brothers Pictures, and no infringement is intended.
1: The dude of steel. Where <laughs> are you gonna get it?
0: The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Why do you say this to me? when you know I will kill you for it. Now playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2013. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated.
3: Well, I guess I'd better be going too. So I'll be going.
1: Bye. See you later. Superman will never- WRONG! But he's defending his mom from a killer with a John Wayne Gacy tattoo. I'm okay with him killing him.
3: I thought he was a juggalo. (laughs) With that tattoo.
2: Are you down with the clown?
1: Superman will never- WRONG!
3: It kind of makes my fingers curl whenever people it, fingers curl. What the hell is that? that's not even a saying? <laughs> it, it, you claw your own yeah, eyes out! Yes. I guess I think because I was actually I was actually like clawing my fingers <laughs> as I was talking about it. It
1: actually makes my Superman will never- wrong.
3: I'm wondering the same thing too. I mean, come on, Superman girl, Superman girl. <laughs> <laughs> it, the, the words were in there.
1: Superman will never- WRONG!